want to bring easy to use tools to our organization, we're going to have to go through a huge data literacy program. So we want to have easy to use data front doors, data portals to come in and understand this is what a data domain means. This is who owns it. This is the definition and business speak. How can I get access and use that data? And then the analytical tool bench, if you will, of what are the tools that I can access today to access that data. Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. With every passing year, a new batch of data tools comes available and a new crop of data professionals enters the job market. The chief data officer has evolved into a position that acts both on the offensive and defensive sides of these changes. Our guest today, Kara Daly, the EVP and CDO at LPL Financial, has helped shape and define the role of data leaders in the C-suite as she's moved through her career. Her experiences at companies like Nike, Bank of the West, and Silicon Valley Bank have led her to embody a spirit of data enablement rather than governance. She also begs the question, is all data created equal? Tune in to find out on this episode of The Data Chief. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people from companies like Walmart, Hulu, Schneider Electric, Cloud Academy, and Mercado use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. You can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Kara Daly, welcome to The Data Chief. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Cindy. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. So, uh, Kara, I think the last time... You and I met virtually, it was probably 18 months ago. You were in a different place, in a different role. Tell us where you're joining us from today. Well, I am the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at LPL Financial. Uh, LPL is a wealth management firm. We're the largest broker-dealer, independent, and I'm very excited to be part of the firm Uh, It's an exciting time to be in wealth management and financial services as a whole as a data person. Great. And I think you're in the Pacific Northwest, right? I am. Well, actually, I I had moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. So I'm not only in a new role, I'm in a new location since we last spoke. Okay. So you've traded the the rain with the sunshine. (laughs) I will take sunshine over rain all day. I am a sunshine girl. (laughs) You and me both. Well, Kara, you've spent a long time in the data and analytics space, largely in financial services, but also some time in CPG at Nike. If you were to think about some of the similarities or profound differences in these two sectors, what might they be? Uh, It's been such an interesting journey. Uh, You know, The data problems that a financial services company have around data governance is typically the same problems that any company would have around data governance, right? So it's the ownership aspect, understanding how to to get the organization to really own data, 
quality, completeness, all of that, that, you know, I think companies in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years are now are very more aware that, you know, data management and analytics is important. But prior to that, there wasn't a huge focus. So data is disorganized. And I think that's the same issue that you might see from a GE to a Nike. Now, so that's the similarity aspect. I think the key difference is that, you know, the financial services industry was slow to adopt things like cloud. There's a lot of regulation in financial services, which it makes complete sense as to why. So Nike didn't have as many of those things uh, to to tackle. So I would say that 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 helped Nike be more innovative on using different technologies that were available to them. Uh, And they were, you know, when I got there, they were already in the cloud. Uh, They were already building data platforms in the cloud. But where they were behind and similarly, you know, at a financial services company and, and companies as a whole is probably more data governance. Right. So interesting. Um, And I think about this dynamic of how regulation sometimes constrains or influences the data strategy within financial services. How much do you think that is what influences the slow adoption of cloud data platforms? Um, You know, I think I think financial services are probably more risk adverse and and going to the cloud is just someone else's server, right? It's not your own. Um, And so that might have been where I can't speak for other companies, but, you know, that's that's usually where the hesitancy is around cloud. Now, I'm very passionate about cloud. I think this is the the way all companies are moving towards. It makes sense. It's not always a financial play, but it's a simplification play. Um, There's more modern uh, capabilities that you get with cloud. There's more security capabilities you get with cloud. Um, So I think, you know, that may have been the reason why. I also think that, you know, there's a lot of emphasis and regulation around data governance controls. And so it's all about, it's not to say that cloud doesn't have it. It does. It's just about implementing those protection controls. Uh, and that takes that takes time. But I think it's, you know, I, I think, you know, it's the right way to go. It, it absolutely is. Yeah. I mean, whether it's simplification or the ability to do more sophisticated analytics or to ingest new data sources at scale, it just makes it so much easier. And for sure, not all financial services relate to cloud. We can look at Capital One, for example, very early, or some of the neobanks. We had Afterpay, now part of the Block family, on uh, the data chief recently. So I, I think it just varies. So in your new role at LPL Financial, is this one of your priorities to accelerate the cloud journey? Certainly, you know, LPL is in a transformative state right now, similarly to many companies that they're moving towards modern architecture, uh, new innovative ways to serve our clients in a more personalized way. So cloud being one of them, uh, you know, I was brought in uh, and certainly there was a team prior to me, so I'm not the first version of me. 
Um, but I was brought in to really focus in on, on data transformation and, you know, bringing all of that to life. So it's, it's very exciting. And then in this role, and not all CDOs have this, but I also have the enterprise analytics function, which is really exciting. Um, I actually started my career on the BI analytics front. So it does feel a little bit like coming home uh, after being so deep into data management and data governance for years. Uh, it's all about, you know, delighting our, our end users and, bringing the right capabilities around, you know, data-driven decisions and, and, you know, analytics that you're very familiar with, Cindy, uh, uh, with, with ThoughtSpot. Yeah. So I, I actually think the, the title you have is showing a maturing of the role, whereas if we think about the first generation chief data officers, it really was only about protecting the data and let's say the second generation or or the impactful CDOs had the analytics, the business value part of it as part of their domain. So now actually formalizing that as CDAO, I I think it's great. What what do you think? I think it's fantastic. I mean, where we're all evolving to, and I just read something recently in LinkedIn, I think Doug Laney wrote it. Um, is that, you know, one of the major things that CDOs or CDAOs need to get after is value assessment. How is your program giving back value to the organization and the end customer, right? So how do you quantify a value associated to a data analytics program? I think that's going to be, you know, if not already, very, very critical to those CDAOs out there that need to to you know show 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 the capabilities and what it can really mean from a revenue standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint. I think data and data management, data that's always going to be a risk play, right? You're always going to have risk management, and, and you can always go on the data defense. But I think what's way more interesting is building a strategy that has a balance between offense and defense. Yeah, absolutely. So the offense and defense, getting to value, these are some of the things that people like Tom Davenport and Randy Bean talk about. So the other aspect of this role that you are reflecting in a way as a microcosm is the elevation of the role. And I understand you recently participated in a discussion where does the CDO or CDAO eventually lead to? Does it lead to the chief digital officer or the CEO? What do you think? Well, this is an interesting debate. Um, I think CDOs are in an interesting position that they get to see all the problems of the enterprise, right? They get to see the breakdown of the silos and the capabilities or functions or the org. And so I think you're really primed that you're, you're, you're getting to, to have, have these stints in all these different areas and solving these broad enterprise problems. So I think personally, I think that a CDO has a runway to a CEO. Like one, you have to sell, you have to have an ability to sell the hardest product at a company, which is data, because it's not it's not always tangible to people, right? 
So that's one thing. Also, you've got this, this accumulation of business acumen, right? You have to be able to speak the language of the business or in order to be successful in these roles, right? But also the third, the third part, which is the whole digital and technology transformation that, that, that you need to be partnered with deeply. So between those three things of, of selling a product that's very hard to sell and, and keep everybody motivated and interested. And second is, you know, the accumulation of your business expertise and your acumen. And then the third thing around, you know, the experience you get with, you know, digital and technology and that's where product management comes in. I think those three things really uh, help the CDO become primed and ready for a future CEO role. Right. So that sounds like all the glamour and the exciting role of the impact. And yet, and yet, <laughs> and yet we think of it as both the best job and the worst job. Yeah. Because there are a lot of silos and fights and churn. And I actually, I'd love to know your take on this. There's survey data that says the average tenure, this is two years ago, for a CDO was about 2.4 years. <laughs> I think your job changes have reflected that. Yes. But I also think that tenure is getting shorter. What do you think? Well, this is such an interesting topic, especially in the middle of the great resignation, right? Yeah, or reshuffle. Right. Um, yeah, we don't like to say resignation. Uh, so, <laughs> and I'm very happy at LPL, everybody listening. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, look, this job is hard. I, Why? Why is it so hard? We, we want to be data-driven. Well, we know it drives revenues. Why is it so hard? There's a culture shift that you have to drive. You have to change the way people are hardwired to work, which is to, to be more gut-driven in their decision-making. The second is you're competing with legacy decisions that you weren't a part of, that the infrastructure is a spaghetti mess and you've got to untangle. And I'm being generic in this, like many companies have this problem. So the culture shift mixed with you're, you're sitting on infrastructure that, that is in the middle of a, a legacy, uh, you know, the legacy is, is pulling into the modern transformation you're, you're all part of that, right? Going to the cloud. There's, there's so many issues when it comes to that. And then also, I think it's, it's about, you know, the, the change management aspect of it all, right? You're, you're helping the organization do something in a totally new way and not everybody embraces change. So, so I think that's, that's probably the fatiguing part of these roles but I'd like to think that it's more about the excitement of the build. Like I think uh, yeah. many of my my peers, well, yeah, the job is hard and it's fatiguing. At the same time, I think we get that adrenaline rush of change. Of we're going to be better. Yeah, and we're going to be so much better the because impact. we're going to be. Yeah, we're going to be data driven in our decision making. We're going to be more efficient, and we can ultimately move faster. Those are the things that I think draw me to to new CDO opportunities. But like I said, very happy in my role. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so you're saying you're not you're not happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I understand why why there's turnover. 
Yeah. And you referred to the mess, the spaghetti mess. So this is the technical debt and the technology is one side, but um, you also hinted at that other people made these technical decisions. And I often say, at least if you look at the past, state of the art keeps changing. So nobody should be ashamed of what maybe they were buying five years ago. Now, if they're still buying what they bought five years ago um, today, we then we could debate what's going on there. And then it's the people change management. So how much do you think the battles that the CDAO is fighting is about technical decisions and saving face, or is it driving change? I think it's more driving change. I think that, look, the the decisions that were made on the technical front at one time was the best decision they made, right? And no one's got a crystal ball that, hey, we're going to have all these wonderful bleeding edge technical capabilities that are going to make our lives easier. It's all about change. And also data governance that's been the same for 15 years. Uh, you know, I it hasn't really changed. While the technology's gotten far better on how we can manage our data data in a better, more efficient way, um, you know, it's still a people change management uh, challenge that I think the CDAO has, and it's influencing areas that you don't have entire you don't have accountability over, right? We always talk about in data governance, we want the business to own the data. And there's debates on whether that's realistic or not. But if the business owns the data, you're not the business, right? And so you need to coach and mentor and guide and drive these business teams to own that information and to, to take part and be and, and ensuring that it's it's streamlined, it's complete, it's accurate, it's fueling all these wonderful new customer journeys and experiences and bringing all this revenue into a company, right? So that I think that's the, the hardest challenge um, that many CDAOs face. Right, and so data governance is an interesting aspect because every business will say, well, they want the data to be trusted and secure but when you use the word governance, it generally is a polite way of saying no. Office is a no. <laughs> no, you can't share that. No, you can't have access to it. So um, what techniques have you used to help ensure the business actually likes the idea of governance or right sizes it? And maybe give an example. So let's talk uh, customer, customer data probably the most valuable. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, by far. So this is a good question. You know, well, first thing that, that I do along with my team is we don't call it a data governance committee. We call it a data enablement forum. Oh, good. Yeah. We, we do not call it data governance called data enablement. <laughs> I like that. I really like that. Yeah. yeah we call it the data enablement forum. Uh, and I think that's important because you want your leaders that are heads of functions, your data executives want to be a part of a data enablement forum, a forum that's focused on democratizing data and making it available for analytics and and operational uses and in digital and 
you've got to sell this this story about how there's so much opportunity. And I honestly think it's not that hard of a sell. The sell is not that hard. I think one is just being really careful when you use the word governance. We all know it's governance, but just be careful when you use it. I think that also, you know, for a, a more tactical example around customer data, I'll give you an SVB example. You know, when I was at SVB, uh, I was lucky enough to be platooned into the business transformation effort that was going on there. And it was all about the new customer digital experience. And it was many years ago. But, you know, we built the client master with data governance at its foundation, but we didn't tell them that it was data governance. We just said, well, it's part of the program and we're building these data elements and we're making sure the list of values are controlled. And so we we kind of sprinkled cheese on top of the vegetables so that everybody <laughs> could eat it, right? And I think like, again, it's it's all about, you know, framing it the right way and building it the right way. You know, I'm very passionate today about data product management and ensuring that we have data product owners that are supplying that subject matter expertise and product teams across the entire organization. That's what I mean about, you know, covering the vegetables with cheese, because you're making sure that those data product owners are embedded in those teams that are building these new capabilities. And we're saying, hey, we're going to manage data in the process and we're going to build it the right way. So those are the types of examples that I've seen in the past that have worked well. Yeah. So if governance sounds like no in disguise, enablement sounds like yes. Right. And then I do want to clarify. So SVB, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Yes. For those who are not familiar with it, I like this idea of sprinkling your vegetables with cheese. I think that's good. The other thing, though, that you alluded to is the concept of a data product and a federated model. Mm-hmm. So this starts to sound like some of the core concepts in the data mesh. Can you elaborate on this? Sure. So. I think you've you've read everybody's read many articles about the data mesh. And you know, if you talk to many of us long-timer CDOs, we're saying, well, that was that was there like 10 years ago. We've always been trying for that. We always want to have data domains that are concrete and owners own the domain. Now, you know, so so it's it's funny, you know, at every company I go to, I, I have the same themes. And so you know, I wouldn't say that we're building the data mesh, but we're building something like it where we are looking at logical domains, building them with our architecture and technology teams on physical assets so that we can have these capabilities. Now, I am not a big believer in the one data thing that's going to solve everybody's problem, right? I think I think building these domains where they rightfully reside is, is important. And data enablement can be that connected tissue across all the domains um, to bring it all to life. Product management is that discipline on how you're going to actually build it, right? So building foundational data products, say for us, our customer is advisor, right? Our financial advisors are our customers, right? So we're going to build an advisor domain, and understand everything about that domain, understand the behaviors, the transactions, the the all the deep metadata that we need to have, the quality, 
building that domain is really important. And then that becomes a product eventually called Advisor Connect. And we're going to build that. So those are the types of things that we're we're definitely looking towards. It's funny though, uh, when I do read articles, which I do, I read a lot of articles about the data mesh. I, I always think, well, these are just data governance principles <laughs> that we all tried from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, they, they are. So I think a lot of the principles have been there, but maybe the technology yes. was not really ready to enable it. Things like open API frameworks. And right. so maybe that's one of the things that people are afraid of. How do you ensure these concepts of data products do not become just a modern day siloed data mart, let's say? Right, right. I do think that's very important. And I think that's where your data enablement, you know, your data governance comes in is to make sure that they don't become these one-off data silos over to the side. And one of the many various data mesh articles I've been reading is there's two major use cases for data. There's operational use and there's analytical use, right? That that's That's the use, right? And so you know, whether it's operational, you're creating an API marketplace and you're able to serve this data in a real-time way, internally, externally, or you're creating these curated data sets so your data science teams, your analytics teams can go and access. I think these are the two major ways to, to use data. I think technology is so exciting right now. Yes, I saw Invest in Data has come out of stealth mode. So tell us a little bit more about that. Do these startups pitch you and then you decide who you invest in? How big is the organization? So we have 25 plus data executives. Uh, we're all various CDOs, heads of data science, heads of data. We have a website, investindata.ai. Um, so you can see a lot of the information there. Um, I got involved with the group a while ago when I was at Silicon Valley Bank. And um, it's it's a group of us that, you know, we used to have these dinners, these data dinners, where we would talk about all these different topics related to data science and analytics and data management and governance. And so from there, uh, the three leads of that pulled together all of us uh, to create an angel syndicate. So Oren Younger is one of the co-founders and he's amazing and he has taught us all so much about investment and and what it takes to be successful. So it's been a great learning experience. Um, I deeply respect every single person that's been a part of Invest in Data. Um, and it, like I said, it's just very exciting. Check our website out. I'm a shameful plug. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's good. We'll put it in the show notes, definitely. Follow us on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is where if if we look at the way technology changes, we talk a lot about the modern data stack across that full value chain from data ingestion to storage to transformation to the analytics and even the insight to action. Are there any particular technologies or aspects in this stack that you are most excited about? Well, you know, I'm certainly excited about the consumption. You know, we want to bring easy to use tools 
to our organization, we're going to have to go through a huge data literacy program. So we want to have easy to use, you know, data front doors, data portals to come in and understand this is what a data domain means. This is who owns it. This is the definition and in business speak, right? Like how can I get access and use that data? And then the analytical tool bench, if you will, of what are the what are the tools that I can access today to access that data? I think those are the things that I'm very excited about is anything that becomes very tangible to an end user that could be more data-driven in their decisions. Now we're still early in our journey on picking what are the right tools to solve these current challenges. Um, but I'm very excited, like I said, about the consumption angle, the analytics angle. Like I said, I haven't had analytics in a very long time. I mean, the last time I had this, I was pushing Cognos. <laughs> and that was at GE Capital. <laughs> so that's, I'm very dated, and that's a long time ago. <laughs> that's okay. You're going to be refreshingly surprised by... Yeah, how how far the products have come. Oh, absolutely. You know, from when you and I both started in, in the late 90s. So it's good. It is a fast-paced industry. How do you stay on top of it all? You mentioned reading a lot. Are there particular things you read and what are the other best practices? So I, I will just be totally transparent. I'm on LinkedIn every single day. I am always following you know, certain companies that are, are game changers in this space. Uh, Monte Carlo, I don't know if, if you've heard of Monte Carlo. Bar, oh, yes. Bar Moses, uh, I love her. I'm a super fan of Bar, if she's listening. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be on her podcast in a, a few weeks as well. She writes some really great articles uh, about, you know, the importance of data observability and the connection point to the data mesh and all of that. So I, I stay on top of it like that. Um, I'm also, you know, I, I love to read leadership books and, you know, this one is an old one, but Simon Sinek's, you know, start with the why that's always great because as I said earlier on, when you're selling your data strategy, it needs to be important to the person that they're, who's listening, right? So start with the why on why that person needs to care. So, you know, I, I, I read those things and, and certainly, you know, Randy's written a book and I, I got to actually meet with Randy a couple of times. He came to LPL uh, and talked about it. And uh, so there's, you know, just lots of people in the industry, but LinkedIn is a, is a great way to follow certain hashtags and get a lot of articles that are quick reads, but, you know, understanding the, the, the leading edge. HBR is also another good one. Uh, Harvard Business Review. Yeah. So, so definitely a mutual fan of Bar Moses and Monte Carlo data. And also Simon Sinek, just a very timeless book. Oh, yeah. And Randy Bean's most recent book, Fail Fast, Learn Faster. But then let me let me go back to you with Simon Sinek, the why. So if you're starting with a new use case in LPL Financial, what would be the why that you would give those new users? So, you know, I think our client is at the center of what we do, Right. And it's all about serving our client better, faster, more interesting insights in a personalized way. 
So I think we talk a lot about that and that the data program centers around things that say, these are our why statements. Data product management is also a great way to always say, if you're building a product like what we call Advisor Connect, this is going to be the single source of truth for advisor information. We're going to build 360 insights on top of it. There's there's almost no reason to say why, right? Like we want to do that for our customers to give them the best experience possible. So that that's that's why it's so important is that it supports our customer. Yeah, so it supports the customer. You also mentioned personalization. Now, personalization and privacy are often at odds with one another. Mm -hmm. How do you connect these two? So this is that balance I was talking about around an offense and a defense to your data strategy. You know, privacy is all our rights, right? And and we want to be very careful around that PII data that we use. So we don't use PII, right? We want to create these wonderful personalized experiences off of segments, right? Off of, off of, uh, you know, clearly aggregated data so that we're not targeting in any sort of way. Um, and that's that's just my personal opinion. It's like, I'm, I'm very uh, interested in the whole privacy angle. I think not a lot of people do that. I do this, this sounds a little crazy. I read the terms and conditions of apps that I install on my phone. And, and you, should, you should really read them because, you know, your privacy is always, you know, it's yours to, to, to give. And it's our, our dedication to our customer to protect their privacy. So I think it's a balance. I think with every use case, you need to be asking yourselves, like, is this aligned to our privacy strategy and making sure that, you know, we're not violating regulations and whatnot, but I think you can create the right, you know, guardrails around that and still offer a personalized experience to your customers. That's both, you know, an offense and a defense strategy. Yeah. So it's interesting because you say think in segments, but if I've been your longtime customer, I don't want you to assume that I'm in the same segment as my neighbor, for example, very different saving, spending habits, investing habits. So I also don't want you to abuse my personal data. Mm-hmm. So is there an in-between that it really can be personalized? You don't have to aggregate where privacy is maintained. Privacy and trust is maintained. I think it comes down to the relationship management aspect. I think our company is very committed to you know, working closely with our clients in a very human-centric way. Um, so it's, it's about that. It's about, you know, ensuring that, that we're delighting our customer and everything we do and the capabilities that we build. I think companies in general need to be very careful about the information that they do use to personalize. And I, th- I think LPL is doing a great job at, you know, you having that relationship management aspect to be that personalization touch. That's great, Kara. Well, Kara, um, we've covered so much ground. I always like to end with um, one of two questions, and I'll let you choose. Okay. If you think about your time across so many organizations in the data and analytics space, um, either w- what are you most grateful for 
or maybe in the last few months, what has made you just laugh out loud, tears running down your cheeks, full belly laugh? I love that second question, but I I can't think of a good witty answer for that. You know, this is kind of silly. I have to say that, you know, explaining what I do to people is hard. What we do. I mean, you know, my son who plays a lot of Halo thinks I'm the master chief of data. (laughs) And we joke about that. Um, I have to say I was at a networking event and I was trying to explain what I do to someone and they kept saying, well, that doesn't make sense. And the thing that made me laugh internally and treats tears streaming down my face internally, not at that time was I ended up saying, I do math. I help our organization do math to make decisions And then I thought, I cannot believe that someone who did not do well in math (laughs) all her life (laughs) and struggles with sixth grade math leads a team of very, very smart people that are excellent at it. So that's the, that's, that's the thing for me that, that makes me chuckle on the inside is every time I say, oh, I had updated analytics for LPL. And I think to myself, like, I cannot believe (laughs) My, my my high school teachers would be laughing right now. They'd be laughing. And and you and you love it. You now love math. If only they had combined math with data, how different an experience would that have been? And selling. I love the cell. That's the thing. I love the dopamine and the adrenaline of the cell. And I think that's probably it. I leave the math to to my very, very smart team. Kara, thank you so much for being on The Data Chief. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content.